0: crazy week, you know. Um, I showed up to work. A lot of people didn't and even know it's it's out of their hands, you know. Sometimes it's not in the control. But hey, player one has the controller, so I showed up. And Anderson, thank you. Obrigado, my friend. You've been doing this for a long time, and I appreciate you, you know. Um, and Rob, heal up quick. Kelvin, put that belt down. Seriously. And uh, <laughs> Yeah. Whatever happens next, shut your mouth what you gonna do when i run wild on you now i love you guys out of here
1: what's going on guys your boy elroy here and welcome back this is episode 14 of the your boy elroy mma podcast i am josh prepagina and i am here with my good buddy andre rodriguez andre what's up man
0: what's up man
1: what's up everybody so we got a big fight week But first, we must get into the news. On the docket, number one, Ross Pearson, the legend. You know, we can say that. He's a legend. He's been in the game for a long time. He finally announced after the UFC Philly card, he is retiring. Andre, is there anything that you remember about Ross
0: Pearson that sticks out to you? Yeah, I mean... Whenever he was fighting some of the tough fighters in, in his respective divisions, he always brought his A-game. You know, he, he's had some tough outings, but um, he was also one of the toughest guys around just in general. Um crisp boxing, underrated ground game, but it was just his will to, to go out there and put on a show and also to just stand and bang with anybody. And he holds some pretty pretty decent wins. Um but much respect to him. I think it was time for him to retire, and, you know, I wish him the best of luck.
1: Yeah, I mean, if you're not going up, you got to go out, so... Yeah. That's good for him. He had a good career. He has nothing to be ashamed of. Let's get into some fight announcements. We had some fight announcements last week that we missed. Some stuff that I'm not even sure that you even heard about. But let's get into it. Jimmy Rivera versus Peter Yan. That's a decent fight. It's good for Jimmy Rivera after you know, getting rocked his last fight. I believe. Did he? Who did he fight last? Was it um, who um, Jimmy Rivera? Jimmy Rivera. He, he fought Aljamain Sterling. Aljamain Sterling. He lost, right? Yeah, he got he got dominated. Yeah, and Peter Yan is a is a good prospect. So that's a good fight. Then we got the the guy right there that you just named, Aljamain Sterling, versus Pedro Munoz. A fight that I did not see coming out of like anywhere. Hell of a fight. This is gonna be at UFC two the one in Chicago. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, so this this fight I had to search really hard for and finally found the news outlet. Wow, for UFC two
0: thirty eight. Yeah, So Al-Jermaine, this is the number one contendership fight.
1: Yeah, Algermain Sterling out of uh Sarah Longo, right? Yeah. Out of Long Island. He trains with, you know Chris Wideman. Chris Wideman was tra- tra- Quinza, that's the one. They're they're like best friends. Yeah. Those two. But hell of a gym. He's ever since that loss to Brian Caraway, he's really, you know, took it on the chin and he's just moving upward. He's grown a lot in his game. And Pedro Munoz, how could you not be excited to watch this guy after what he did to Cody Garbrand?
0: Yeah, I mean, um, even with the loss, like Alderman Sterling losing to um, Marlon Marias, I mean, he's still growing, and I think he was just somebody who just got caught by something that I think anybody would have been knocked out by. Um, You know, he just made a couple mistakes, and Marlon just capitalized. It happens in the fight game. But um, it's not to say that he's not an elite talent in the 135 division. He's definitely um, a title contender. Um, and if he can get a win over a tough guy like Pedro Munoz, um, I think he deserves a title shot against, you know, the winner of Marlon Moraes versus Henry Cejudo. So let's see what happens there.
1: Yeah, I I mean, we know Pedro Munoz has a ground game, but it's been his his striking that has really stuck out to everybody. Another person who's had a resurgence lately, which probably had no reason resurging, but this guy... Really stepped up his game. Diego Sanchez is going to fight Michael Chiesa. Oh, my God. Sign me up.
0: Yeah, I like this fight. Michael Chiesa is going to put the pressure. He's going to try to get on top, work his top game, get a submission, or dominate him with elbows and punches. But Diego's got that warrior spirit, and um, I don't think it's going to be easy for Michael to just take him down. So I wouldn't be surprised if it starts off just straight up on the feet. Um I, I if I have to give my honest opinion I think Michael Chiesa comes out the victor, but this ain't this is not gonna be, you know, that type of easy pickings fight like he had against Carlos Condon, so Yeah. I'm excited. I'm really psyched for that fight. So
1: we spoke a couple weeks about Joao Romero versus Jockaray. Joao Romero's sick, he some crazy sickness. Um he's out. Jack Hermanson is in. We just saw him get that beautiful submission win, and now he's stepping up against Jacare Souza. Are you excited for this fight?
0: Yes. Um, When you have a guy like Hammerson coming in, and he's going to be fighting a scary dude like Jacare, you can only expect fireworks. I think that he has this kind of confidence about him that I know will probably pose a threat to Jacare, because one of Jacare's Unfortunate problems when he's in there Is he tends to tense up Against guys who Can strike better And who isn't worried about his takedowns So if he gets a guy who's confident In himself sometimes he tends to Freeze up and he's like Okay he's not worried about the double He's not worried about me trying to clinch And he's not worried about my power what am I going to do now He freezes up that's what happened when he fought Robert Whitaker. Robert Whitaker used feints He showed him looks he tried to take him down and didn't work and then he got discouraged and with a guy like Hammerson who's so um, aggressive and so energetic, he's going to have to be really smart about how he fights him because we saw when he got that arm in guillotine on Derek uh, Branch. And Branch is no joke on the ground. He's a black belt in Hanzo Gracie Jiu-Jitsu. So I'm excited to see you know whether this is going to be Jockery solidifying his place as the number one contender or this is Hammerson's coming out party to say, hey, I'm here.
1: Yeah, in a way, this actually works out better for Jacare. You know, if he could knock off another contender, he might not need to worry about fighting Yoel ever again.
0: Yeah, and, and, you know, the reality is that um, any fight, any fighter who has to step up against Yoel Romero is going to have a tough time. And it's funny because Yoel Romero, he's not as well-rounded as, you know, people may think. Like, he has solid punching power. And I will give him that. But he's just so unorthodox that it just throws everyone off.
1: But, um, you know how I love Joel Romero. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, my good buddy Jay Mendez pointed this out to me, and it's something that I never would have looked at. But Joel Romero, when he's boxing, his hip movement is like fantastic. He just like slips out so perfectly, and his wrestling is. Second to none.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's where he gets it from. In order to be a high-level wrestler, like, your hips have to be on a different level because you're constantly changing levels, you know? A lot of guys would fake a shot and then shoot back down and get an ankle pick or a double leg or a single leg, and you have to be fast. And in order to be fast, your legs have to be strong. Agility doesn't just come from, you know, natural-born talent. Like, you have to work at it. And it's not easy, like, especially when you're fighting... To shoot in for a takedown, and get stuffed, and then you go to the cage, and then you have to use your, your legs to pick a guy up. But if you can't, you know, it's a lot of work. Then there's so many variables, but Yoel, he approaches it differently. I think that's why his wrestling poses such a problem in the octagon. How close is
1: Yoel's stance to, like, like his hand placement to, like, a traditional Muay Thai? Because I feel like he holds his hands a little higher. Or am I just, like thinking about that in my head because I feel like or is it just that he's so short or right? well, that his sh- like he's just so stocky that his hands just look higher
0: yeah I mean he, he keeps his hands higher because he likes to really get his opponents to look up where his hands are and he uses that tactic to um you know bait the feints because he wants them to always think about the level change and if he does that then you know he'll catch them off guard it's the same way he used um, his feints to actually draw out a reaction from Chris Weidman when they fought. And then in turn used the reaction against Chris Weidman. And he does the same thing. And you know, one of the interesting things about Yoel is that he's a really good game planner. But I think he psychs himself out. Because the second fight with Robert Whittaker, he went in there and he changed up his entire tactic. He started fighting with that almost cross style of boxing where it's just like straight-up cross-blocking and almost like a Philly show, but he used the elbow more to block the right hook. But what he tried to do is he wanted Robert Whittaker to throw shots and try to land combinations so he can catch him coming in. So I respect that that aspect of Yol Romero because he also knows he's not getting any younger. He has to fight smarter. But I don't think any of the fights that he's going to have in the future are going to be easier because there are guys like Paulo Costa who, you know is is gonna dig to the body. He's gonna throw vicious shots, so
1: Yeah, let's let's get into Paulo Costa because oh, yeah, yeah. the word now is that Yoel is gonna fight him in June. So clearly no big deal whatever happened with Paulo Costa. But in turn, you know, let's get into Usada. T J Dillashaw, it comes out that he was taking EPO. Yeah. EPO is something that you know, it has to be injected. There's there's other ways to get it, don't get me wrong. Yeah. But the, the way that it was found, it was something that it can't be a tainted supplement or yeah. anything like that. We talked about how we had to wait for his, you know, the verdict. And now we have it. How do you feel about it? Is he is he taking this is he doing the right thing by not really saying anything or is he harming himself?
0: The reality is that he's gonna harm he's gonna harm himself regardless. The damage has been done because even if he tries to state his case, You have Cody Garbrandt that has been saying for the past two to three years that Dillashaw's on everything. And not just in the press conferences, in interviews and stuff like that. Even before when the feud started, he said this dude takes steroids all the time. That's his thing. He showed us how to do it. And the reality is that no matter what he says, he's going to put his own foot in his mouth. There's really no way for him to try and save himself because the damage has been done. He just has to do his two years and focus on being clean. Um, I think it's sad, though, because if you really look at those Garbrandt fights, regardless of his performance, you had an edge over Garbrandt. Mm -hmm. And the reality is, imagine if you weren't on that and your endurance wasn't there. And and you, you know, had a strength. I mean, look, EPO, it says, I read read up on it, and it's really for endurance. You know, it's for, like, long-distance marathoners and cyclists. But that's still an edge because that means that when Garbrandt gets tired because he's been throwing more volume than you, when he's been throwing heavy combinations, fourth and fifth round, he's gassed, and you're not? Like, it's crazy to think that if that fight would have kept going, if he wasn't able to finish Garbrandt, what would have happened?
1: Yeah, like, I'm over the whole Garbrand thing. I think he's corny. Like, we, sp- we spoke about this yeah, before. regardless, he but, lost. But he did say, like, I'm not making an excuse. I still fought like an ass. But mm-hmm. look at this guy. I said it, and now you
0: guys see it. Yeah, and the sad thing is that I think that, like, me personally, as a TJ Dillshaw fan... I became more of a fan because I got away from the fact that he was kind of cheap-shotting people in practice. And it was because they we're saying he's ultra-competitive. And there's a lot of guys like that in MMA. There's just guys who cannot separate logic from fighting. So they don't think about it. They just react. And in training, sometimes that happens with people. They don't know when to switch it off or when to come down. So there's some guys who are just like, it's either you're not training... Or you're going all out and going crazy. And there's no middle ground. There's no gray area. And I just thought that TJ was like that. Which is totally fine. But with all this coming out into the light, like you just start to see that this dude is selfish but in a bad way. Because now he's, he's risking other fighters' lives by taking supplements and giving himself an advantage where he can really hurt somebody. Yeah. Well, the next time
1: we'll see him, we'll be in... 2021, so... And Marla Mariahs will have
0: cleaned out the divisions. (laughs)
1: Yeah, I'm sure Marla Mariahs probably would have moved up by then. Yeah, most likely. (laughs) I have a question. Yeah? You know I am a wrestling fan through and through. Did you watch WrestleMania? I did not. Okay. So, Brock loses, Ronda loses. (laughs) There goes MMA for wrestling, yeah, that's all they thought of them. Basically, I mean, congrats to Becky Lynch. Now she's the double champ. Um, How do you feel about that? That kind of bugged me. Like we we talk about this all the time. <laughs> I'm so over the whole champ champ thing, but her name, Becky two
0: belts. Oh, it gets me here. Yeah, I think that it was an interesting play to see both. MMA stars get taken out and yeah. then for Becky Lynch to be the double champ. But hey, if it if it's a good play for viewership, yeah, that's okay with me.
1: Just was not a good night for MMA at all. I mean Bobby Lashley lost as well, who is a former MMA fighter. Wow. Dave Batista, also a former MMA fighter, lost. Wow. The, oh, Matt Riddle lost too. Wow. Shayna Baszler won. She's a beast. We forgot to bring her up last week. Yeah. She's good. She she has her character down to a T, thanks to Josh Barnett, who is her trainer and coach. That's amazing. Wow. She was not good in MMA, Shayna Baszler. I, the name sounded familiar, too. Yeah, she's a part of that Four Horsewomen. It's her, Jessamine Duke, Marina Shafir, oh, and Rhonda. yeah. Wow. i Wow, that's crazy that I didn't even remember that. You know, and she's, like, pushing 40, and she just started wrestling.
0: I think there's something so interesting about that. How old is she? She's 38. 38? Look at that. That's crazy. And she just started wrestling. Damn, man. But she's really good. That's a, It's crazy, you know. Um, but I think it's a good way for MMA fighters to kind of step away and do something that's a little safer.
1: Yeah, along with that... Did you see the Connor tweet after WrestleMania? Yes. Now, obviously, this is Connor just playing in the pop culture. Like, I totally understand. He does this with every big fight. Every fighter that does something good, he always brings them up. Yeah. Uh, Becky Lynch, no different. Irish, you know, he's all about that. First woman in... The WWE to hold two belts so he thought he'd say something. At the end he says, Hey Stephanie McMahon, you say I can't do what they do, or could I? Yeah. So clearly, like trying to throw some shade and a tease. I'm gonna say it right now. I don't think the WWE touches him with a ten foot pole. I don't think it'd be smart. Like, he's he's obviously a draw. But Conor McGregor is a PR nightmare.
0: Yes, it's true. And the other problem is that he doesn't pose a physical threat to anybody. So, like, if you really want to stack up, like, how big he is, he's only three inches taller than Rey Mysterio. And he's way lighter than him. So you really can't push him to be this powerful character He has no high-flying skills as far as wrestling. There would really be no way to push him as a champion because he won't pose a threat to him. Conor McGregor's 5'2"? No, he's 5'9". Have you ever seen
1: Rey Mysterio in person? He's like 5'6". Bro, he looks like he's 4'11". Wow, that's crazy. (laughs) He's so small. I told you when we went to Chicago last year, we were in the hotel with all the wrestlers. Yeah, yeah. Rey Mysterio, you know, maskless. (laughs) Talked to us all the time. Well, every time we saw him, we said hi, and he'd, you know, sit and chat. Really That's nice awesome. guy, legend, but yeah, he's dumb, short. But Conor McGregor, he is a PR nightmare. I just don't see the WWE taking a risk. They're a PG company, they're a publicly traded company, and they don't want none of that smoke.
0: Yeah, and even even aside from that, like you know, Connor's recent tweets have just been his strategy. Just like it was, you know, before, even with the May- Mayweather fight. This is just his way. Of riling up the fans to get them to want to see the Khabib rematch. But, you know, it doesn't make sense for them to fight again. Yes. Does it make sense right now? Does it make sense in a year or two years? No. The reason why is simple. Max Holloway or Dustin Poirier is going to reign until Khabib gets back. And it's obvious that, you know, Khabib's going to have to fight them. Tony will get the shot next. And then where does Conor stand? He need, and and the problem is that he doesn't want to fight in anything other than a main event. But he's not going to want to take a fight night unless it's in Ireland or in Vegas. So it, it, there's just so much politics that are involved in this fight. And honestly, I'm going to be real. I don't think there is going to be a could be rematch because it financially, you know, politically, it just doesn't make sense for MMA right now. It doesn't. And another thing is Conor
1: Cerrone. Him, Connor not taking that Cerrone fight might be the best thing he ever did. He don't want none of Justin Gaethje. No.
0: He doesn't want to fight Edson Barbosa. He doesn't want to fight these killers. Yeah, and the thing, even aside from, you know, the loss to Ed, um, to, to Gaethje, you know, Edson's still a tough fight for um, Connor because the pop shot thing won't really work against somebody like Edson because Edson's fast, he has powerful kicks, and he'll try to break you down. So you're going to be throwing these fast kicks that really don't have power, and he's going to walk right through them. We saw that when Barbosa fought Dan Hooker. The strikes weren't really doing much to Edson, and, and, and because of that, Edson broke him down and busted him up bad. But Conor, for Connor to try to fight somebody like Justin Gaethje, it would be stupid. Not because he's going to get knocked out cold like Edson, but he's going to get beat up. And I don't think he's going to have the wherewithal to, to withstand that. What's he gonna do? Is he gonna
1: go back down to one forty-five? Ortega's gonna choke him out. Max is gonna light him up like a Christmas tree. Like Aldo, Aldo now is not Aldo from before. Yeah, he fights smarter now.
0: And and Connor's lost. He lost to Diaz. He lost to Khabib. And the the reality is this: Aldo is not gonna be worried about Connor knocking him out because he knows now that Connor. <laughs> If all he has to do is take Connor down, he's going to win the fight.
1: And even worse, what's he? What is he going to do? Move up to 170? Is he going to fight Tyron Woodley? Is he going to fight? Um, who's Tyron Woodley fighting? Damn!
0: Why did I forget his name? Robbie Lawler. Why is he going to fight? Is he going to fight Ben Askren? Nope. It's a tough. It's a tough position for Connor to be in because the only thing that makes sense, and I'm going to be real with you, is to fight Tony, or Ali Aquinta, or Cerrone. Those are the only guys that he can fight because he has to stake his claim to get that title shot back. He's not in the position that he used to be in. So he can't just expect the UFC to be like, you're a big draw. We'll give you a title shot. Like, no, man. Like, I understand the idea of a spectacle, but you're not Brock Lesnar. You're not this unicorn that comes around every couple of years. You've been in the UFC. You worked your way up. You got your title shot, and you need to understand that you, you have to do that again. And the reality is that you're making so much money with Proper 12 that you don't need to be asking for $50 million to, to fight. Take your $2 million, take your $3 million because the reality is ain't nobody making that kind of money in the UFC other than the upper echelon champions of the sport. That he is not. Yeah, not anymore. So you need to take that $2 million that they're going to, you know, gratefully give you because you're a big draw and you're going to bring crazy pay-per-view numbers or crazy viewer numbers on the stream. You just take it. Work your way up and get that Khabib fight back. Or get that Dustin Poirier fight back. Get that Max Holloway fight back. You beat those guys except for Khabib. So it's exciting either way. Who, who wouldn't want to see Connor versus Cerrone or Connor versus Aya Quinta or Connor versus Gaethje? It, it, these, are, these are fights that fans are going to eat up. But you have to get out of the mindset that you're such a big draw that you can only fight in main events. No. Take these fights, for the fans at least. All this to say,
1: Andre From now on The next time we bring up Conor McGregor He will have a fight booked I'm saying it right now We will no longer talk about Conor McGregor Until he has a fight booked I agree with you 100% man Let's get into UFC 236 Oh yeah I'm not gonna lie, I was pretty upset last weekend You know, even with all the Wrestlemania stuff going
0: on (laughs) I wanted to watch an MMA fight Yeah, me too man it sucks, because we, we, I guess now the UFC has baited us in with having a, a fight night every week. Every week. Even, there wasn't, well, there was Bare Knuckle FC,
1: but I'm not going to lie. I tried to watch that video. It was just too blurry. Mm-hmm. And I'm sorry. We have a question about this later,
0: but there was like, it was just like swinging for the sake of swinging. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's a weird sport and it's going to take some time before it, you know, kicks off. Even if if it doesn't, you know, it is what it is, but it sucks when you don't have a UFC card or a Bellator card cuz even if it's Bellator, you know, you still want to watch MMA.
1: Yeah, cuz the good thing about Bellator is they have those people that you nobody knows about and they have that European series where they're like bringing on good fights.
0: Yeah, man, and and even stuff like ONE FC, like they put on incredible cards cuz you have a mixture of Muay Thai fights kickboxing fights, Muay Thai fights with gloves, Muay Thai fights and kickboxing fights with MMA gloves, then you have the MMA fights, and sometimes they do the 1FC Super Series where they actually have the MMA fights and all that in a ring, so there's just so much variety, but you know, it really sucked not having anything on.
1: Yeah, but we don't have to worry about this weekend, UFC 236, Woo! let's start right at the top. The main event for the UFC, the interim UFC Lightweight Championship. Max Blessed Holloway versus (laughs) Dustin the Diamond Poirier. We've been talking about this fight for weeks now. Oh, man. For months now. (sighs) Andre, when I first saw this fight, I thought Max Holloway was going to wipe the floor with Dustin Poirier after watching some, you know, UFC embedded, <laughs> you know, all those things that UFC has been putting out, Dustin Poirier is looking pretty
0: nasty. Uh, I'm going to listen guys, I'm going to say this. I got obsessed with this card um because this fight when you look at Max Holloway now, And Dustin Poirier now in their careers, after seven years has passed since they fought, I don't think I've ever seen this kind of progression out of MMA fighters. And I'm not going to lie, I got so obsessed that I literally broke these fighters down to the T. I'm talking countless studies Watching fight you know, from fights from the past, watching Max Holloway's incredible thirteen fight winning streak, and even Dustin Poirier's rise up the ranks from the from going from featherweight all the way going up to lightweight, having some setbacks and truly earning his right to say, I'm the number one contender. I mean, man, it's incredible. And I and I'm just gonna say this. Max is going in there to take Dustin's head off, and Dustin's going in there to take Max's head off. And the crazy thing about this fight is what people don't understand is that everyone's expecting volume. Everyone is expecting pitter-pat shots until somebody gets aggressive and wants to go in. People are expecting a war, and I'm going to be real. I don't think that's going to happen. I feel like these two strikers are way too calculated for that, though. But and here's the thing: it's not even the scary thing about this fight is that it's not even solely dependent on the striking, because Dustin Poirier is smart, and his wrestling is good, and he has really good grappling, and his jujitsu is very high level, and it's underrated because he ends up just striking with everybody, and his boxing has has taken such a leap ever since he fought Max Holloway, you know, because before, you know, his footwork was really sloppy, and he just threw big punches, but now his striking has been refined, good footwork. He knows how to fight in the pocket. His defense is better, but Max Holloway's striking has made such a huge jump as well. I mean, not only has this guy mastered distance control, but he also understands that he throws at such a high pace that he does not have to knock anyone out. He doesn't have to go for the kill. He knows that after two to 300 shots in four rounds, he's going to destroy your face or your body, and you're going to quit. But Dustin's saying no. Because they asked it, and, and one of the coolest things about Dustin is that he has this kind of confidence about him because of the work that he puts in, and Max is the same. But one thing I like that Dustin said was simple. They asked him, Can you exchange with Max? Just to paraphrase, and he said, can Max exchange with me? And that is the story of this fight. What happens when they get into that real real heavy battle, when they're throwing hooks, when they're trying to take each other's head off? What happens when they both go off, when they decide game plan's out of the window? Because I know that that's going to happen. Will Holloway drop him? Will he TKO Dustin, or will Dustin TKO Max Holloway? Will he starch him? We don't know. But that's the best part about this fight. That if it does last five rounds, it's going to be fight of the year. Regardless of how good any other fights have been this year. Who do you have in this fight? Woo!
1: I'm going to make you pick right now. Damn.
0: <sighs> Who do I have in this fight? I'm going to tell you how I think this is going to play out. In a perfect world where these guys bring their A game, I see the first two rounds going to Max. And I'll tell you why. Dustin is going to try to counter Max coming in with the pitter-pat shots. And he's going to try to land uppercuts, right hooks, and his own left straight. Max is not going to bite on that. So he's going to throw his pitter-pats, knowing that what's coming, and he's going to bait back, he's going to pull back, and he's going to counter Dustin and move out the way before Dustin can get off on him. The first two rounds, I know that Dustin's face might be busted up. I think third round comes in, there will be a sense of urgency from his coaches because he has some of the best coaches in the world. And I think the third round going in, he's going to start mixing up the wrestling. He'll start throwing body kicks to try to open Max up, to try to keep him complacent. And then when he sees his opportunity, he's going to shoot in. The reason why is because, you know, back then Max was a little crazy. He would throw flying knees and super kicks and all this stuff. And he doesn't do that anymore. He sits down on his punches and he works on his footwork to to actually get him through fights. And I think Dustin will see that the pace that Max puts on is going to be a lot. I don't think he's going to be afraid. I don't think he's going to get hurt. But I think he's going to try to implement the wrestling and I think by the fourth round he would have taken Max down and I think that if he doesn't TKO him on the ground I think that he will get a submission victory. Either by rear naked choke or an arm bar. It's, it sounds crazy and most people might be like get the hell out of here bro. But I really believe that that's how this fight's going to go. I take nothing away from Max. But I don't think that Max is going to be as dangerous with his grappling as Dustin will be because Dustin has only gotten better over the last seven years. And at that point when he fought Max, his jiu-jitsu was very solid fundamentally. So we're going to be looking at a different Dustin Poirier because now he's smarter. Now he's more intelligent when he goes in there. And when he took when he took Anthony Pettis down, got him on the ground, and was beating him up with ground and pound, you could clearly see that this dude was having a lot of trouble with Dustin. So I'm going to say that Dustin is going to TKO Max Holloway or submit him in the fourth round. All right, I'm going to go the other way. I'm
1: I'm not going to lie. After watching what Max Holloway did to Brian Ortega, it's hard to envision anybody beating him. Um, if anybody's going to do it, you said this last week, if anybody's going to do it, it's going to be Dustin Poirier, but I just don't think it's going to be this time. I think it might be the third fight because if they if he wins this fight they have to go again. I would love Look, to see it. Again.
0: Regardless of who wins, Max Holloway is there to stay in the in the lightweight division. And that's
1: another thing we don't know. We've never seen Max Holloway at 155. We haven't. What if he's like a monster? What if he's like Daniel Cormier going from 205 to 225? Or 245, whatever he is at heavyweight.
0: Yeah. And just, like... Dominates. Knocking people out. Oh, I mean, one of the things that was interesting was his strength and conditioning coach in the Embedded Series. He spoke about how Max Holloway put on more muscle. And, you know, sometimes that poses a threat. But if Max is going to be in clinching exchanges with Dustin... Because, let's be honest, Dustin isn't stupid, right? Right because when he fought Eddie Alvarez he was able to counter him but he also knew that Ed- Alvarez is smart because what was what is what was Eddie Alvarez doing in the second fight he was shooting down with his hands and baiting a takedown because he knew like eventually I'm going to have to shoot in because he's tagging me right and Dustin isn't dumb he's not going to take 17 shots to the face try to move and slip everything and try to counter with one or two he's going to either try to get off at the same time as Max or he's going to step away and try to shoot him for a takedown. And and the scary thing about this is, is that what happens if Dustin doesn't get the takedown? What if Max just pitter-pats him all night and destroys his face? What if he hits him with a clean body shot? We don't know. And the reason why I make my prediction, because I'm looking at the more practical side of how this might go, because nobody has really threatened Max Holloway on the ground in the last few fights. I mean... His last real fight where he was threatened on the ground, I guess, was Cub Swanson. But he was exchanging in the submission battles, and unfortunately, Cub Swanson just, you know, he quits. And and I'm sorry to say that, but, you know, it's the truth because he's been been choked out countless times. And it's because he's made stupid mistakes, and he just doesn't care to try and get out. So with all that being said, I think the transition, whether Max loses or not, is going to be incredible because I think that he's going to be a monster at this division. Who's the heavier man on Saturday, Max? I'm, I'm, and you know the crazy thing is Dustin said it himself. He might be heavier than him, and um, I'm gonna say that on fight night, I believe strongly that Max is gonna be sitting somewhere between one sixty eight to one seventy four, if not higher. And I know Poirier is gonna be sitting around one sixty five to one seventy, but. Max is a big dude, and the, the even cra- the, the crazier part about this, is I I even think Max could fight at 170 if he really wanted to. So it, it's interesting. Um, I'm just excited for this fight, and I say that about a lot of fights, but this is one of those fights that, you know, if I watch this by myself, the better because I'm not going to be talking at all. I'm going to be really close to the TV. I'm going to be focused. The main event, I am supremely
1: excited for. The co-main... I
0: am nervous. This is a different kind of nervous for me. Anything can happen in this fight. The reason why I say that is because... I don't think that Kelvin will be able to take Adasanya down. And if he does, I don't think Adesanya is just going to stay down. He has super long limbs. And when you're fighting a guy with such a, a size difference... It's hard. It it would have been like Cormier taking John Jones down, trying to hold him there. And it's not that easy because of how big he is. And it's the same concept. You know, I actually wrote a comment on um, one of the Embedded Series um, videos. I was talking to somebody because they were making a prediction. And, um, you know, I had said about Adesanya that he holds the same kind of physical upside that John Jones has. He's super huge for his division. And um, that's one thing that's going to be a huge disadvantage for Kelvin. Granted, you know, we've seen fights like um, Josh Emmett against Michael Johnson, where there's obviously a, a height and arm length discrepancy, but you can get knocked out if you get hit on the chin, clear. But there's a huge difference. Israel is four with an 80-inch reach, with incredible footwork, incredible head movement. And power. Yeah, and not only power, but the intelligence to understand when his when the fighter, when his opponent isn't hurt and when he is, when it's time to go for the kill or, okay, he wobbled, but I'm not going to try going for a kill. He understands that, that aspect of, of the sport because it's not like kickboxing. You get dropped, you wait in the corner, he gets back up, you keep going. In MMA, it's different. You can wobble somebody, but they have the wherewithal to say, I'm not going to let him come in and destroy me. I'm going to throw all the overhand left. Israel's not going to get caught with that. And, go ahead. What? What's more dangerous? A
1: specialist or someone who's just really good at everything? Because Kelvin Gaslam is just good at everything. He's dangerous. Like, this is why I'm nervous. It's not that I don't believe in Adesanya. It's that Kelvin Gaslam
0: is dangerous. I'm, I'm going to say that... Um, the most dangerous is somebody who can do it all because Israel Adesanya right now, if you really look at his skills, he is an incredibly elite striker, world champion kickboxer, and he has incredible takedown defense, and his ground game is developing the same way as John Jones was when he was coming up. If you look at John Jones's jiu-jitsu now, it's a solid blue belt at best with really good fundamentals. And that's still dangerous on the street because if you go up against a blue belt, who knows how to take you down with a double and gets on top, he's gonna kill you, mm-hmm. flat out. But when you have the physical upside like Adesanya and John Jones, it's even worse because they can land elbows, because they can get stuff like rear naked chokes and guillotine because their arms are so long that it's really hard for you to defend. But you know, Kelvin, when you look at the fight and what he brings, he has a he has a black belt in ten Planet jiu jitsu. A collegiate wrestler, a very you know successful collegiate wrestler, and he's got knockout power in his left hand. And the crazy thing is that he has really good head movement too. His boxing is crisp. But the problem in this fight, and the reason why he doesn't have the edge, is because of the size, and the intelligence. It's a, of course he ha, he'll have the intelligence to try and mix up boxing and kicks with takedowns, and try to pressure Adesanya. But what happens when that fails? And I think that is where this fight will take a turn. Because Adesanya knows what he has to do. He has to pick him apart on the outside, even if he doesn't throw you know, crazy kicks and tries to knock him out with a spinning back kick. Because that would be stupid if he did that against Kelvin, because Kelvin's going to shoot in. It's obvious. But this fight, he knows that he has to work his jab. He knows that he he has to utilize leg kicks, and he knows that he has to catch Kelvin coming in with uppercuts with knees. So th- that's why this is dangerous because Adesanya just isn't a kickboxing specialist. He's starting to become a great MMA mind as well. And um, you know, if you're gonna ask me for my pred- prediction, I'm just gonna say flat out, with all respect to Kelvin, even if he lands that big shot, I don't think he's knocking Israel Adesanya out. But I don't think Adesanya is TKO and Kelvin either. I think this goes five rounds and Israel dominates him. I think that maybe a round or two, Kelvin will get him down, but I don't think he's submitting Israel. Now, are we going to see
1: uh, Israel like we saw versus Brunson, or are we going to see that flashy Israel that we saw against Anderson? Like, he's he has to... C- In my opinion, I think he has to come into this fight like textbook. Yeah. Like, follow your plan. I don't want to see no
0: flash. I will say this. The flash will come if he sees that Kelvin's discouraged. Right? And it was like he said in the interviews um, leading up to this fight. He knows that Kelvin is dangerous. Not only with his wrestling, but his strikes. Because... Aside from him just having a cannon of the left hand, this dude has good head movement. He showed it against Chris Weidman. Weidman, he's not slow. But, you know, the way he throws punches sometimes, well, before, because when he fought Jacare, his his boxing was crisp. But before that, his punches were really mechanical. And you knew what he was throwing because he wasn't able to really step in and really, like, throw with, like, I, I don't want to say accuracy, but it's more the technique side. Everything was real boxy, like like Rich Franklin, how he would throw punches and kicks, like you knew they were coming. But the the reason why guys wouldn't block, because you know, Rich Franklin wasn't fighting guys like Israel Adesanya, who could see that stuff coming. You know, he was fighting guys of the same level of striking as him until he ran into Anderson Silva, and it's kind of the same thing um, when he comes to Chris Weidman. But you know, you saw Chris Weidman throw seven, eight punches and gas on the cage, just whoop, 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 slipping everything. But he's not going to be able to do that against Israel because Israel's going to pick him apart with that jab, and I know that that's going to be the story of this fight—the jab. Yeah, my pick is Israel as well. I'm nervous for that fight,
1: but I know those guys are going to put on a show. No offense to you know these guys, but it's clear that that main event is has fight of the night written all over it.
0: Yeah, and and this fight could be crazy. You know, Kelvin could walk through everything Adesanya throws. Adesanya can get caught and really hurt and will have to come back in the next round. You know, Kelvin could get the takedown and, and start dominating and bust Israel's face up. Like, we don't know how this fight's going to go. And the reason why is because the body types are just so weird. Because if you look at Kelvin, like, he's 5'9". He's basically the same size as me minus, you know, me being fat. But you look at Israel, well, he's, he's fat too. Well, yeah, I mean, and it, just like Israel said, he's got a soft body. Yeah. And he better be prepared because soft body means body kicks, means body knees. And you might be able to catch the kick, but can you stop the power? Like, it's going to be
1: real scary if he pushes Israel against the cage and Israel gets that
0: clinch on him. Exactly. Or if he tries to go for a big overhand, Israel sees it and throws a knee of his own, while wow, blocking with frame defense and just keeps it out the way and throws. Like, we don't know what's going to happen because we still haven't seen, and it's like everybody's been saying, we haven't seen the Israel Adesanya that has been pushed to the brink. Because let's face it, Derek Brunson was sloppy. He tried to put the pressure on Israel, and it didn't work because he was like, ah. it was like he was trying to run at him like a baby and give him a hug. Daddy! Like, you don't do that against a high-level striker. Yeah, there, there's one thing I can guarantee is that Kelvin doesn't do that. No, he's very methodical. when he And, and look, I'm just going to bring this up. Not because I think that it was smart, what he said, but I'm going to bring it up regardless. Kelvin, you know, when he fought Uriah Hall, eye Hall is a good striker. He, he has good kicks, and that's where I'll leave it. But yeah, because he weathered the storm. Forrest
1: Griffin said the same thing. Yeah. He tried to bring up Uriah Hall, and I'm like, you're going to tell me that Uriah Hall is on Israel Adesanya's level? Asi- even aside from that,
0: eye Hall is six feet tall. 79 inch reach, cool, one inch less than, than Israel, but his boxing is not good, he's got power in both hands, cool, but he cannot mix up strikes, and that's why he gets beat up, because you can see those high flying kicks, and you can see the power shots that are coming, that's all he sets up, he's like Yoel Romero, Yoel tr- constantly tries to set up power shots, and your is the same way. Adesanya can mix everything up. He has crisp boxing, crisp, crisp muay thai. His kickboxing is on another level. And you know, I don't think that Kelvin's going to be able to just weather the storm and take him down and eke out a decisions. It's just not going to happen. We're talking about five rounds with a guy who's going to keep tagging you all night. Can you take it? You know, and i re- and, and as much as I respect Kelvin because he's worked his way up the ranks, I don't see him dominating Israel for five rounds. This isn't, you know, Kelvin's not. Kamaru Usman so you know I'm just more excited to see what happens with Israel like if he looks good or if he looks completely sloppy because if the, if he looks sloppy in this fight and barely gets through it God bless him against Robert Whitaker. because not only does Robert Whitaker have power but he's really intelligent yeah easy to, easy
1: to say 2019 this is the best co-main main event combo of the year thus far yeah Let's get into some other fighters to watch this week, starting in the early prelims. We got Bala Mohammed versus Curtis Millinder. Now, Bala Mohammed, he fought, he lost his last fight. The judges say, by unanimous decision, I thought he looked pretty good. I
0: became a fan, so I am excited to see him again. Yeah, I, I think he he went against a tough guy, like in Jeff Neal, because Jeff Neal is... He's a real tactician in there. You know, he he doesn't hold a crazy kickboxing record. But his fundamentals are so solid. And that left hand is insane, the left kick. But Bilal Muhammad showed flashes of him being an elite fighter. And Mm -hmm. I think that Curtis Melender is going to have to be really careful in there because Bilal is serious. Like, this dude's a real deal. He's a a legit prospect. And, you know, Curtis Melender, he got a knockout over Tiago Alves. I won't take that away from him. Tiago Alvarez is a stud Muay Thai specialist, but God, I mean, Bilal Muhammad's probably going to give him a lot of trouble.
1: Yeah, then you have OSP versus Nikita Krylov. I mean, OSP
0: is a name, Nikita Krylov, working his way up. Yeah, I mean, um, Nikita Krylov's knockout victory over a veteran like Ed Herman, that was incredible because he threw a head kick in the middle of a pocket exchange, which is like really rare. Like, only high-level kickboxers do stuff like that where they're real up and close and they just frame and throw a head kick and you don't see it. But, you know, um, I'm excited to see what he does against a a former title contender, like, with OSP. So let's see what happens. Yeah, and I am
1: straight. I'm having a kid, Andre. But this is the second most beautiful man in MMA next to Elias Deodoro. Alan Joban versus <laughs> Dwight Grant.
0: <laughs> oh yeah. Um I think I think uh, Dwight Grant, he's a good prospect. I don't I don't think it's a smart fight for him though. Alan Joban's been in the UFC and he's fought some really tough guys. You know, really weird matchups for him and he's come out with victories. Guys like Mike Perry, Ben Saunders. I mean, he's a tough dude. Um, I think Alan Joban's probably going to end up winning by decision. I think he's going to pick him apart.
1: Yeah, then in the fight before the co-main and main event, you got Eric Anders versus Khalil Roundtree Jr. I love Khalil Roundtree Jr. Me I, too. I mean, I think he got knocked out his last fight.
0: He did. He lost yeah. to Johnny Walker.
1: Yeah, he got knocked out by Johnny Walker. It's obliterated. Which, uh, you know, a lot of people have, so I don't feel that bad for him but um a win against Gokansaki before that yeah a, no a decision an, an incredible that. upset oh paul craggy knocked
0: him out yep the dude is good yeah man i mean he had a rough start but um he definitely showed that he's here to stay so um i think eric anders as well he's fighting in a weight class higher but i think now that he's fighting more at light heavyweight i think he's getting more comfortable with the weight um i just think that there's going to be um a striking battle that, that ensues. But I think that Khalil Roundtree's striking is just a little more refined and I think his fundamentals are just a little more um well put together than Eric Anders. Eric Anders can sometimes throw strikes with power. But um the way he throws them is just really like, you know, Chris Wyden, very mechanical, um, very sloppy. So I think Khalil Roundtree will probably end up catching him and TKOing him. Yeah.
1: This card, Andre, is going to be fantastic. Yeah. I'm probably going to watch it with you. Let's get into listener questions.
0: Let's get into it.
1: Our first question this week comes from the homie Pash. He says, what do you like more, a slugfest or
0: a more tactical battle? I, I can always enjoy a good slugfest because, you know, there's a lot of action going on and you just never know what might happen, but... Um, Just in my roots, you know, just loving uh, striking more than grappling growing up. I've always liked the tactical side of it. I I really like when you can watch somebody pull their full game out on display. Um, You know, like, for example, use a good jab to really break their opponent down, use body shots. I've always liked the tactical game because you're able to see... Not just, you know, the athletic skills and the physical abilities of a fighter, but also their, you know, their intellect and their mindset going into a fight, their ability to strategically break their opponent down.
1: Yeah, for me, I like, I like both, but the older I get in my MMA fandom, the more I appreciate, like, a good game plan. Yeah. Yeah. Like, not every fight to me has to be Gilbert Melendez versus Diego Sanchez. Yeah. Not every fight needs to be uh, Anthony Pettis versus Tony Ferguson. Like, where they just go out and bang, you know? Yeah. So, as much as I do enjoy a slugfest, like like I said about this weekend, like, I could not really get into that Artem Lobov fight and, like, The dude, David Feldman, was calling it, like, the greatest fight of all time. I'm like, are you kidding me? It was not that cool. Like, they just swung for the sake of swinging.
0: Yeah, and, you know, with fights like that, you know, you have two guys who are kind of journeymen in their MMA careers. But they're able to kind of be stars because they had names in MMA. But, you know, they don't really have incredible technique. You know, Artem Lobov, he... He got pushed because people thought he'd be a star if they could put him up against top level fighters, and he just wasn't. And um, you know, you clearly saw that in the Cub Swanson fight, the Michael Johnson fight, you know, even the Andre uh, Tutsi Philly fight, and um, same thing with Jason Knight. So, I didn't really like the fight much. I, I saw the highlights, and it was just, it was just two guys throwing punches because they knew that they already got paid. So it didn't really matter, anyways. Yeah. So um, my actual listener question comes from my girlfriend, Angie, and she had a very interesting question. Um, And and I actually like this question a lot because it, it more pertains to the future of MMA and the actual image that MMA is portraying now. So the question is, has the sport of mixed martial arts strayed away from its roots as the platform of martial arts competition and leaned more towards a boxing slash wrestling or WWE approach as far as money fights, spectacles, gripping storylines, and trash talk?
1: So my take on it is that, yes, it did evolve into more of, you know, they they need ammunition to promote. Yeah. You know, you can't just say, all right, these guys are fighting. <clears throat> that doesn't work anymore. Yeah. Even when Ali was around, you know, he had to talk trash. Mike Tyson, you know, he had that presence about him. Where he didn't say much, but him just being there being that presence was enough, you know. Uh do I think that it goes a little too far? Uh yes, with people like Kovey Covington, um, Dell who shall not be named anymore till he has a fight. <laughs> his uh his comments last week were disgusting. You know, I chuckled when I first saw it. But
0: then I'm like, wow, that's really offensive. Yeah, and to go that far, you know, to just promote a fight, um, it's actually sad because your skills should do the talking. Your ability to win fights should do the talking for you. Um, And, of course, you know, the UFC, they have to do their promotional side where they have to make one fighter look invincible and they have to make one fighter into the underdog that has an incredible story and has a chance at victory all those things are important you know but i think that um that there's some issues that i do have with the ufc and in some mma organizations and those are big spectacles and um money fights because you know the ufc should just be paying the fighters more it shouldn't be about making big money fights everybody should be paid what they're worth and when you think about it when you compare the sport to boxing you know, it's nothing like it. You know, they, this this organization in particular, you, in the UFC, you have some of the greatest athletes um, and some of the greatest martial artists in the world, and you're telling me that they're getting paid chump change when they first start out and that even if they're champion, they'll never crack more than 200 or a quarter of a million dollars in a title fight? Like, that's insane, you know? Yeah, I have a new take
1: on that, on how what you said, because recently I've been going through this, like, thought process where, like, I, I don't feel bad for these fighters as far as, like, fighter pay and as far as, like, benefits and stuff like that. Like, I don't get benefits. Why should I be worried about you getting benefits? You know <laughs> what I mean? Like, I don't get paid what I'm worth, according to me, so why am I worried about you getting paid what you're worth, you know? Um, but that's just the, you know, jerk in me. But it's true, like, like yes, everybody should probably get benefits in the United States. Yeah. But it's just the life that we live right now.
0: Yeah, and I think that a lot of fighters, especially like, you know, Artem Lobov brought it up as far as um, show money and then, you know, win money. And um, I totally get where he's coming from. Because, you know, the the best example that he could have given was the fact that his expenses do not change when he's fighting. And, um, you know, the UFC, and, and I can really just say the UFC in general, because 1FC and a lot of other organizations outside of the UFC pay their fighters really well. I think it's just a singular issue with the UFC. They're very They're very hard-headed when it comes to that. And the problem is that there's a lot of fighters that are not motivated to fight. But then the UFC throws them a—not a a bigger money contract, but they throw them more fights, which means more money. And and that's also not fair because you're telling a guy that he has to fight seven times to make $500,000, right? And the sad thing is that he should be making $500,000 in four or five fights, because he's putting it out on the line, and if he loses, you know, you still pay him, but he doesn't reap the benefits. And it's bad because you have a lot of fighters who are really putting the time in. We're training 10 to 12 hours a day, and, and you know, there's a lot of other issues. But um, the one thing I did want to talk about aside from that, because that's a whole other conversation um, the trash talk. I wanted to address that. I think that the trash talk has evolved, and it's become kind of its own monster but I think there's a lot of MMA pioneers who kind of said that they have to do that to sell the fight which is totally acceptable Um, but there was one in particular that I really enjoyed watching um, was Nick Diaz he always talked trash for fighters but he you know he did speak after the BJ Penn fight how he said this is what I have to do to get a title fight you know Like, I have to talk and badmouth somebody so that way they can take me seriously and they're just selling you wolf tickets. And it's crazy because if you think about it, in the purest form of martial arts, Nick Diaz just wanted to test his skills against George St. Pierre's. And there was such a runaround they gave him, you know. So he talked his way into a title fight. And I I think it's a bittersweet experience for me because I remember back in the days where the number one versus the number two guy fought because they had to. And there were no boundaries in that. You just knew it was going to happen. If this guy beat this guy, he won the title. If the next guy beat this guy, they were fighting. But now it seems more like it's about, you know, MMA politics and what the fans want to see instead of, you know, what's supposed to happen.
1: Yeah, my favorite trash talker, yeah, I think it's the Diaz brothers. Yeah, man. But since you already said them, I guess... I'll say Ben Askren right now. Yeah. Because he's talking, like, he talks like dad trash. Like, Yeah. Oh, you suck. Or, you know, oh, you're gonna get beat by a guy with this body type. Like, come on. Yeah. Like, and he's just so fun about it. He does everything with a smile. And, you know, we're recording this on Thursday. We usually record on Wednesday. We're recording on Thursday today. And, you know, I was hoping that we would get to see his press conference today, but it's the day that it's coming out. It's it's They're having a press conference on Friday, so we're not going to get to see that magic. That dude is the best.
0: Yeah, and he's only going to get better because, you know, he just beat Robbie. And, you know, despite it being... Um Controversial. he still has that win under his belt. He went against probably one of the toughest guys he could have faced, and he's coming in with confidence. He knows what he has to do against George Mazvidal to beat him, and I think vice versa. So I think it's just going to be interesting to see how he approaches a guy like George Mazvidal who's really no-nonsense, doesn't really care about talking trash, and just wants to scrap. So it, it should be interesting. Yeah, it's going to be real good. This has
1: been Your Boy Elroy, Episode 14. My name is Josh Prep Iguina. You can find me on all forms of social media at in
0: one word. Andre, tell them where you're from. Hey, guys. You guys can find me on Twitter and Instagram under Dre. one word, all lowercase. And you can also find me as just my regular person, Andre Rodriguez, on Facebook. Um, thank you guys again for listening. You know, please tune in every week. We come out with even better and better content every time we get on this mic. And, you know, our only goal is to bring you the best content, you know, for MMA, kickboxing, boxing, and jujitsu. And thank you again for all your support. And um, hopefully you leave more five-star reviews. Yeah, enjoy the fights this weekend, and we'll see you next week.